And when I looked closer, there was a, a Sasquatch face on the other side, and uh, it was looking right back in at us. Staring back at me is a silhouette of a very, very giant monkey. An intriguing discovery is being investigated in a community east of Seattle. Someone came across a lengthy trail of extremely large footprints. They are up there. Welcome, everyone. You've tuned into the Nicola Valley Bigfoot Podcast, a place where your encounters are told. To share your encounter and to be on the show, email me at nicolavalleybigfoot at gmail.com. Now, sit back and enjoy the show. Hey, welcome to the show, everyone. We have got a great episode for you guys lined up for today. I've got three guests on the phone. Joining me today from Ontario Sasquatch, I've got Chris and Peter, uh, and as well as from Hastings County Sasquatch, we have Daryl. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thank you guys so much for being here. Well, thank, thank you very you. much. Thanks for having us. Yeah, no, no, the pleasure really is all mine. Now, I've been getting emails from Chris for the past little while, and Chris sends me little snippets of, of, of your guys' projects and work that you've been doing out, out east. Now, I want to hear about all of this stuff, but Peter, I want to start with you. We haven't really spoke all that much before, but I'd love to know, where did your love for Sasquatch and, and research come? Where did that come from? Um, I've always been out in the wilds, and I saw things that didn't look quite right, and then I started hearing rumors of Sasquatch, and I thought, I'd always thought it was a, a mythical creature from the Pacific Northwest, but then I started hearing reports of Sasquatch in Ontario, so of course that got my got my attention. And sure enough, um, we started finding them, but uh, not during the day. At the, in the middle of the night, uh, we were getting uh, knocks, wood knocks, and eye shine and things like that. So it all led from there. And there was more and more reports came in, and it kind of snowballed. So now we have, uh, I think in Ontario, we have something like 1,100 members um, all over Ontario. And we have a, a very active location at the moment, and we joined up with uh, Hastings Sasquatch to uh, try and investigate it. And we were lucky enough to get some infrared images on uh, last September and kind of thought, well, if we had a drone with infrared in it, we'd really get some results. So that's where we're at right now. Yeah, it's always uh, exciting when you have, uh, when you find an active, an active zone, you know what I mean? Like, I, I know there's an active zone near where I live and, you know, it, it's kind of unknown, but, you know, it's very exciting that you have kind of a secret that uh, you can rely on to, to get some activity in the night, right? Yeah, well, I always thought that the action was out, out west there, but I was really surprised uh, to find it in Ontario. And then when we spent the winter on Vancouver Island and we had to talk with John Vindernagel, uh, he had moved from Ontario 40 years ago because we thought everything was out west. And Ontario's got just a huge population of Sasquatch here. Yeah. Absolutely, but you, you got to think too, right? I mean, the northern part of Ontario is much like British Columbia. It's, it's probably very desolated. Am I right? Like, I'm not sure about the population. I've never been that far east. 
Is there is it more forest than people there in in the northern part? Southern Ontario has eighteen uh, eighteen hundred people per square kilometer, or something ridiculous. And north of uh, in northern Ontario, which actually is eighty seven percent of the Ontario province, we have point nine people per square kilometer. So very sparsely populated. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Well, that has the ingredients for a, a nice little Sasquatch area. Uh, how about you, Daryl? Where did your uh, Where did your love for uh, research come from, and where did your love for Sasquatch come from? And I remember seeing the In Search of episode, uh, probably a replay in the early eighties. Uh, always was kind of fascinated with that sort of thing, paranormal. It actually kind of kind of scared me. So I grew up in the country uh, north of Battle, Ontario, in uh, Hastings County, of course, and at that time, there was some strange things that had happened around the area, and we just other kids had reported, but just a couple here and there. And it wasn't until I guess I was always a UFO guy, but it wasn't until 2004 I was up at Rue Bottom Lake, east of Perry Sound, and I had some strange experiences there. And funny enough, probably about two or three nights earlier than that, I'd just seen a little documentary on TV about Sasquatch. And renewed my fascination for it and then and then having some strange events happen and getting whistled at from the woods up at Rebottom Lake. Uh caused me when I got back to read a little bit more into it and, and like Peter, I thought it was up in the West, along Oregon, Washington, BC, right? But <laughs> I didn't think it was in Ontario. And that's when I started to really research from there, read as much as I could um, online. Now we go out with our groups. So <laughs> getting a little further into it and it's really fascinating having a good time. Yeah, tell me a little bit about your group. How did you get that started? Uh, it was uh, quite easily. I was just sitting on was on vacation in 2017 and just happened to be sitting there on the laptop looking through reports. And I started to search to see if there was any reports from Hastings County and um, found a couple and they were tagged to Peter's site. And then uh, I thought, well, why don't I just start my own page on Facebook and Call it Hastings County Sasquatch and see if anybody else comes forward to say that they've had any experiences. So, and at the same time, I want to say, one, Chris called me up and he said, "Hey, is this page still active?" And he said, "I said, of course." And well, we've been working together ever since. <laughs> it's very satisfying when you see the, the kind of the reports and the people that follow your group as it as it builds up quite quickly. Uh, there's a there's a, a fascination with Sasquatch. Even if people won't admit it, they'll they'll quietly uh, watch from the sidelines. Is that what you found as well? Like I know that's what happened with my own group. Yeah, it's been fun. Chris has uh, Chris has joined up, and we uh, went up to uh, a Maydock location as one of our first spots we investigated. And Peter eventually came along to that location a couple weeks after us, and and now we've got Dennis from Ontario, excuse me, Upper Canada Sasquatch. Uh, joining us in our, in our group to go up to the Moab investigation area where we have a hot spot right now as well. Yeah, and for the and for the listeners, Dennis couldn't make it today on onto the interview, but we're going to cover a lot of the work that the three of these groups uh, combined have done. Um, Chris, how about yourself? Where did this this fascination with, with Sasquatch come from for you? Well, Sheldon, I was on your show there. I don't know, probably a couple of years ago, I guess. That's when I sort of gave you guys an update then, but um, I think nothing else runs as fast as them. I think that was the title of the show. But since that time, yeah, we had 
I've had a, a number of other uh, run-ins with them too, close to Daryl and um, and a couple other locations here. Got hit with infrasound. I uh, had had two uh, visual daytime sightings, both up in the Tomogamy area. Um, yeah, we caught them on uh, uh, both on uh, infrared and night vision cameras up in the Maydock location with, with Daryl on that one investigation. It's a pretty good eye sign. Yeah. So, yeah, they're definitely out there. So <laughs> I didn't think I would be uh, getting into it this hard, this hard <laughs> but here I am. <laughs> I know that feeling. I really didn't think that uh... – I'd be sitting in the position I'm in now when it comes to anything to do with Sasquatch. I just wanted to learn a little bit more, and here I am now. So uh, I, I totally understand. <laughs> well, we're going to get right into this now, gentlemen. I, I would like to start with Peter, if I may. Uh, tell us about this project you guys got going on, because it's very, very exciting. And I'm uh, and I'm glad that you guys have included kind of, well, sort of included me in, in the uh in the uh, process of it. So could you please explain to us like what, what's going on with your, with these three groups that you've merged together, uh, what, what the project is. Okay. Um, after we got the infrared uh, video, which Chris actually recorded and we got the idea that if we had some, some infrared in the sky, that would be really good. So we did some research on it and they're kind of expensive. So we thought, well, we need some help. But we uh, we're really confident in, in the imagery that we've seen so far that this is the way to do. They're using these drones for search and rescue and, and other things like that. Yeah, we, we're trying to get three drones so we can cover all all of the area of Ontario that we do cover. And Chris, we can start with one for sure. Well, we'll definitely work with. Them. We'll start there, but that we're the goal is three. Yeah, ultimately. Um, but um, Ontario is what 1.5 times the size of the state of Texas. So, it, yeah. So the drive times in order to have you know if you just have one drone covering up one part, let's say southwestern Ontario, and I know we have uh, three areas that we're monitoring right in well in southwestern Ontario to start with. But I know we have two other locations in Hastings County that we need to monitor, and there's probably at least five or six locations up in the northeast of um, uh, North Bay area. So it only makes sense to have at least three, um, you know, thermal drone assets available. That way we can, you know, drive about half an hour, two hours, maybe max, and get them deployed fairly quickly and. Um, as soon as a report comes in or if we're going to be set, setting up a stakeout for, for the weekend or for the week, um, we'll have those um, assets available. What I'm liking about the idea is that this will be, uh, uh, you know, two or 300 feet in the air. It'll be less intrusive than, than we're doing right now where we're trying to get in close to them. So we can observe them un, un, without disturbing them. That's the hope. And the good thing about it, too, is um, we could be uh, split up. We can have uh, uh, one investigation team uh, in one location, and we can have a mobile unit that's involved with the uh, drone. And as soon as we get the text or phone call or, you know, a call on the walkie-talkie that, hey, they're here, they just bust down a tree, such and such, you know, we can easily deploy a drone and, and fly it out to um, the um, ground crews out there 
and just pull Overwatch over top of them. And uh, it wouldn't, wouldn't take too long because these things have a, a range of about 15 kilometers anyway. So. Now, Chris, you yep. mentioned earlier that you, you found you had you've captured some very interesting infrared footage. Now, is that why you chose the area? Well, let's back up one second here. Tell me about this footage that you have and what's on it. Yeah, the footage that we caught were both on uh, night vision cameras, digital night vision cameras, which basically is just a black and white um, images. Um, very good cameras. And also the other camera that we captured, the... Uh, the um, forward-looking infrared, the FLIR, the FLIR camera. Uh, yeah, so we have two different videos there. One was on night vision, the other one was on forward-looking infrared. So basically, uh, we're on a stakeout, we're on watch, all the lights were turned out completely. I wasn't even sitting by the fire, but um, I was basically in a, in a ground blind on the side of a, a carport. And uh, I could see somebody walking through the forest, like with a flashlight. And I was, it took me aback for a second. We're in the middle of nowhere. There shouldn't be some guy walking through the forest, through the forest with a flashlight. And then it dawned on me, well, that isn't somebody walking through the forest with a flashlight. It is the Sasquatch with its eye glow, basically like a bioluminescence, I guess, if you would call it that. And um, you can see him coming right through the trees and, and took a position up probably about anywhere from 100, 110 feet, perhaps. 100, 100, 110 feet, possibly. That's how close he got. And then I was trying to get him in closer and trying to zoom in with the, with the uh, night vision camera and it wasn't too effective. I was getting the eye glow, no problem, but there's enough vegetation in front blocking uh the image that uh, I sort of moved positions just very slightly and um, use the leer. And that's, you know, I can catch something sort of leaning back and forth behind a tree. And just to let you guys know, it's, it was like pouring down rain. So we're half the people are in the covered section of the cabin. And that was on this one side of the covered carport. And, um, there's a, nobody else walking out there. And um, so I was trying to monitor this this one being that's sort of swaying back and forth behind a tree. And um, we had a secondary figure come walking right in front of that figure, probably about um, probably 75 feet away from where I was sitting. And it was kind of interesting. We were just up there three, four weeks ago, and Peter brought some serving equipment so we can establish what high or, you know, what height that, uh, that eyeball was. And Peter, I'll, I'll let you uh, tell us what the finding was. We set up the, uh, the uh, optical level exactly as Chris was holding his IR cam, and then we measured the height, which was about 75, 80 feet away, and we measured the height of the eye at nine, nine foot one inch. Wow. And then we have to add, I don't know, six inches for the peak of the head on, on a Sasquatch, which would make it about nine and a half foot Sasquatch. This is consistent with the 16 inch prints that were found during the winter in the snow. And 
The 16-inch prints joined a set of 22-inch prints. So we think we've got the male and female there, 16-inch with a female and a 22-inch footprint with a male, which will put him up in the 10 to 12 foot, at least 10 feet tall anyway. Uh, but this is only calculated uh, guesswork. We can't get one to stand still so we can measure them. <laughs> but anyway, um, with, with all the evidence here, it, it looks like we have a male, a female, and a juvenile in a family group, and, and there may be others. Well, let's hold on. Let's let's back up just one second here. Uh, you're out in, in the woods here, and and this, this Sasquatch approaches your your camp. What, what do you think it was doing? Was it just checking you out? Was it was it curious? What, what, if you could speculate just for a second, just to let me know what, what you thought it was doing there. They're they're curious. They're curious. Um, the first thing we do is no white lights. Don't shine any white lights. They don't like that at all. But if you're sitting around a campfire cooking hot dogs, um, they're they're curious. They're coming to see what's going on, but they don't want to be seen. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I, I believe that is their uh, their downfall is their curiosity. We'll come in and check you out, and yeah, um, that's one of the weaknesses that I think as investigators we're trying to take advantage of. And of course, their juveniles are mischievous, just like our teenagers are. Um, what was it like? Two o'clock in the morning when they started tossing pebbles at the roof and landing near us. They're, they're not throwing rocks at us; they're just taunting us, if you like, with, with small pebbles. Yeah. Yeah. And then they eventually broke the tree down, not too far away from our position, too. Which we got on recording, and that was quite interesting to hear again. Yeah, yeah, that's very curious. Uh, are they telling us that okay, we're here, or um, it's not a warning? They, they've never, they've never tried to warn us off. Uh, no, they never growled at us. So they're just letting us know they can push trees over. I guess. And Daryl, is this an area that you guys frequent like quite often? I mean, do you think that these Sasquatches have become accustomed to your presence? And I'll, I'll let Daryl answer this one if we could. Well, I've only been up there the month out of the two trips, um, which was two, three weeks ago, three weeks ago. Um, I wouldn't say they're scared off by the presence because the landowner has been there and has seen them for years. Um, he's a hunter at that location there and he's seen our trails like that. Um, I'm sure he's had others over to visit, and, and well, in fact, he's had, he has. He's, he was telling us a story about other time cards at the table, and one was bold enough to come and actually duck down under the eave and look through the window where his son could see the eyes. Um, so yeah, I don't think that they're deterred by us coming up there. They may they may keep their distance the larger the group. Uh, I, yeah, I think that uh, I don't think that's a, that's the case with them at all. Being scared away by us. Probably more more human TV to watch. <laughs> the landowner first uh, first contacted me in 2019 when he found uh, snow prints that were a uh, five feet five foot step on a snow print, and the snow print was like 15 16 inches long. That was our first uh, indication. And then when we interviewed him, we found out that he's had on and off encounters for years, and of course then we went up and. We all, all met him and sat around the campfire, and 
that's when we started hearing all the other stories of the, the Sasquatch peeking under the eave, as Daryl just said, when his son was laying in bed, he could see him, he could see he was bending over a little bit. And so we measured the eave, and the eave was nine foot four. So he had to be taller than that, and he had to lean down to look under it. So, yeah, this is ongoing. Um, the Sasquatch aren't around during hunting season. Obviously, they know what guns are. But they're uh, they're there whenever the landowner's there. Huh. Very interesting. Very interesting. How how often are you guys getting to this area? Like, is it once a week or how how often? Whenever you can, type of thing. Well, this yeah, particular think... report, no, we just do it a couple of times a year. Uh, other there's, there's so many reports. We're usually out once a week, somewhere. And is it, is it always just the three of you, or, or I'm sorry, the four of you, and, and then, you know, maybe bring some other people on board, or do you just keep it as a close-knit close, close knit type of a, a grouping? I think the last well, time we had about eight people all together there, eight investigators. Yeah, that's right. Wow. No, I'm up in North Bay, in northern Ontario, and Daryl and, uh, and Chris are down south, so we all have our own local groups. I usually out with three or four people up oh, here in okay. the north. But we've got, we've got about 50 investigators in the field. Wow, okay, okay. I'm starting to understand here how this whole thing, the, the dynamics is starting to play out here. Now, let's get into this project that you guys are, are trying to get kicked or uh, get funded for. Now, you've started a GoFundMe, and you're looking to buy some thermal drones. Now, what are you hoping to accomplish with with these drones and and i mean like obviously you want to get some footage of, of these sasquatch but uh, i mean is it for uh, is it for your own personal personal satisfaction or you, you want to prove the existence of, of sasquatch ultimately i don't know if, uh, uh just the thermals are going to prove it but ultimately the good thing about these uh, drones you can get both um uh, thermal images and also visual light spectrum uh, video on it and you can film it side by side so nobody can really say that oh, this is hoax, this is fake you know, this guy in a monkey suit because the, 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 heat, that yeah, the, the heat signature will not be the same if you're in a suit and um, ultimately the, the whole idea behind it was to um, uh, catch them on the thermal um, ultimately help understand the, the research and just follow up to see where they're at, where they're, where they habituate, where they're going. Um, Cause ultimately the, uh, these drones, the particular drone we're after is the, the DGI M30T. Now this isn't a toy or anything like that. Uh, the, the, the thermal cameras can detect heat signatures depending on, and it depends on a variety of features such as the size of the object, uh, the temperature difference between the object and the surroundings. The cameras that are involved in, in this, uh, you need a powerful drone to carry it because it's a pretty high, it's a pretty high payload that these uh, thermal cameras um, are. So basically, a toy drone will not have the processing power or the lift in order to um, to um, you know, launch these cameras up in the sky. So that's why we have to go to the professional series. And unfortunately, they, they cost around the, the same price as a you know, compact car, like around $15,000, believe wow. it or not. 
And the only way we could probably do that is to um, maybe do a crowdfunding through um, GoFundMe. You know, all we can do is, is ask. Yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, you never know. Yeah. And if we, uh, if we catch anything on the cameras, by all means, we're definitely going to share it, especially with our sponsors. <clears throat> We'd certainly uh, share it. You know any of the footage uh, that we captured with, with our sponsors. Um, anybody that contributes to the program, obviously, would would have a link of some sort that will certainly sell, yeah. or certainly have access to uh, anybody that uh, contributes something with an incentive for yeah. uh, contributing. Oh, I get to see some of the toy cards. And then some people might argue get away with the toy drones. So, well, no, not really, because. You know, these thermal images, images you will require a good resolution camera, and these cameras have a 640 by 520 pixel um, screen on those thermals. Uh, and, you know, dual sensors, you have visual light and also thermal. So there's, basically, compare the footage. And what's the time frame that you're looking at on this? Is there... Is there no time limit on this? This is going to be a, a, a lifetime passion project, or is it something that you want to accomplish in the next year or a year or two? Or how does that look? Would you say there's no time limit on it? Uh, yeah, it would be nice to get it done by uh, by the fall tomorrow. Yeah, next week would be great. But ultimately, yeah, I know it's going to be a long term thing, and I think we have to promote this project. And so, henceforth, we're here on your program with some. We're talking to some of your great listeners here that uh, might want to check us out on GoFundMe and perhaps maybe throw a couple bucks our way. It doesn't have to be anything huge, just $2 might do it. And, and for the listeners, I'll include a link in the in the podcast description where you can go and check out their GoFundMe and possibly donate and uh, check out the little perks that they're offering for you guys. You guys are really taking Sasquatch research seriously. I, I'm actually uh, in... Uh, I have much respect for you guys for that. I mean, it's one thing to go out into the woods and do some tree knocks and some fake howls and, you know, maybe confuse a Sasquatch for a minute or two, but you guys are really taking this to the next level. I mean, where did the idea of, of using thermal drones come from? Let's start with you, Peter. Well, it was, it was the, the infrared footage that Chris recorded last September that really kicked the drone, the drone idea off, um, that we could... We knew that we had three Sasquatch watching us. We had three sets of ice signs. And then when the juvenile went through and he got that, I thought, well, if we had a drone in the sky, we could have got them all in the one in the one frame watching us. And, of course, we can get further away so that we're not disturbing them. And, and I really want to, why are they there watching us? Are they curious? They're, they're, they're no danger to us, so they have to be curious. Um, is this a family group? Um, we really just want to get a more understanding of, of the creature. And, and you must be scouting out the areas that you're looking at. I mean, you, I, I, I do realize, you know, that there, there's different areas that you, you all, all three groups belong to, but, you know, you must scout out your individual area that you're, you're, you're going to use these drones on. Now, Daryl, have, have you gone out and have you, have you kind of researched the area, what flight path you're going to take and all that stuff? I mean, how, how far into this flight are you going to go? Well, as far as we can, uh, I, I would love to use it up in the Maydock location, our hotspot up in Maydock, Ontario. Um, I'd like to fly it over there. There's 
as far as setting a flight path, I guess I would do that at the time. But uh, there's a spot in Thurlow Township as well that I'd like to fly the drone over. And that was, I had a, my own personal experience there uh, in 06 and then again in 2013. Yeah, I, I would just, I would just put a, a pattern out like down and back and, and then and just cover the area and stop if there's anything curious if we're watching live. And the, and the good thing about it is you can, there's mapping software, so you can basically have waypoints. Yeah. You have your own pre. Um, it could, it'll, it'll fly your mapping pattern if you need, need be. Yeah, and that's kind of the reason I was asking too is that, you know, modern, you know, these technological modern drones, you know, you can basically lay out a path for them on, on using GPS and it'll follow that until the battery's dead or, or whatever else. And then you're just, is that what's going to happen? Like you're just going to, you're going to head out one night, send a drone up, and hope for the best? Well, that's the thing. When you're, uh, first of all, you tell you the truth, but you can't really just go out and, um, like, a, looking for a needle in the haystack. Basically, we have to go to locations we know that are very active, and we rely on the witnesses on that. And that's generally where we set up our camp and our investigation areas and then from there you know even if we have one drone or a secondary drone even if we just use the one drone we'll have secondary batteries available from the spare drone that's on hand and the good thing about it we can you know if one drone runs out of uh you know juice on on the batteries we can hot swap the batteries without shutting off the drone send it back in the air and it'll continue on its uh, surveillance program or its mapping mission or, or whatever or whatever surveillance you're doing. Who's going to fly it? <laughs> Have you guys argued about that? <laughs> well, we're always looking for qualified drone pilots. You have to have your basic qualifications, obviously. Your basic um, Transport Canada uh, drone license. So, Obviously, there's a few of us that are going to have to, uh, yeah, we're going get, to get, that. get that test done so we're uh, compliant with, uh, you know, the tax grabbers. <laughs> yeah, I guess it, it's, it's kind of a danger to just to let people fly these little, these essentially mini airplanes and, and fly them anywhere and let them just go, right? So. Yeah, it's more or less just to uh, make sure that you know the, the rules, what you're, what you're sailing and what you're allowed to uh, operate as far as altitude goes and stay out of the airport rules and regulations yeah you can go fly in an airport like like you know like police do and crash it into a Cessna like the police did <laughs> funny story about that but anyway <laughs> I think we all heard that one okay yeah. yeah 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 we're quite familiar yeah even out here <laughs> yeah so if you have any uh, drone experience by all means like drop us a line yeah you got your own drone ready to go we'd love to have you come sure even better <laughs> <Get started. laughs> save a lot of save a few steps yeah that's for sure or if you have uh, a billion dollars kicking around and you want to donate to the project maybe a helicopter i know i know elon musk probably listens in his program i believe doesn't he shelton <laughs> yeah yeah, well, I did make quite the, the noise with the conference that I held a couple of weeks ago, but I, I don't think it reached his desk. I'm, I'm not too sure about that one. <laughs> How is Sasquatch? Okay, let, let's let's let go of the project for just a moment here. How is Sasquatching in Ontario, by the way? It's uh, 
you guys mentioned that you figured you know early on that you know all sasquatch sightings and all that sort of thing were out west where i am but you know it's quite well known that you know much of north america has these these beings in there so how is it going on in ontario is there is there many reports happening out that way we always get these reports coming in all the time i think peter has the biggest uh probably following there i think you got a heck of a lot of uh, reports coming in right peter yeah, uh, we don't get as many reports lately as we did in the past years. Um, I think COVID might have had something to do with that. People just aren't getting out there anymore, and the campgrounds were shut down. But now we're getting maybe two reports a month, whereas before COVID, we were getting maybe one a week, two a week. So, yeah, they're coming in fairly consistent, but not as many as before. And as for Hastings County, uh, it's, I don't get a lot of reports out of there. We got, well, Chris is giving me a signal here, but we got uh, one from, yeah, about two a month, I guess. It's usually in comments that comes forward in uh, our private message. Uh, yeah, it's just a sighting. It's not something they were, you know, like they felt threatened or anything like that, just seeing them screaming in the woods, uh, the ugly knock, stuff like that. They'll just, they don't expect it to be some big thing for them to report. So they, they just say, oh, this kind of happened to me in the comments. And I'll contact them, follow up. But uh, usually, that's just it to their story. There's not a lot. Just, oh, I saw it in a valley as I was driving down the road. <laughs> and I don't know. Uh, we have Dennis from Upper Canada Sasquatch. We don't know exactly. He's not here today to uh, join in on the call. But, um, he does a lot of investigations out southwestern Ontario, London Way, St. Thomas, and um, further north in all places in between from here to Niagara. So, yeah. Do you guys ever go anywhere else? Like, I mean, like Quebec or Manitoba, for that matter, I guess. Or is it just kind of strictly, strictly sticking to your area? No, I think it keeps us busy here in Ontario. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose if somebody wanted us to come up to Quebec and we're willing to pay the fare <laughs> or anywhere else, we'd go and investigate it. So yeah, we tend to have a good time together in this group. But yeah, uh, I like we, Alberta. We accept, uh, we accept reports from other places. Like yeah. um, we get a lot from Manitoba, a lot from Quebec, from Michigan, uh, from Pennsylvania. Uh, we have a lot of members from Pennsylvania. That's the most concentrated area in North America for Sasquatch, just south of Pittsburgh. Oh, wow. Um, I, I think uh, it's because of these foothills of the Appalachian Mountains and the crop fields. Um, they, they, they can hide hide in the, Appala in the Appalachians, but they got access to the crops. And in Ontario... Um, when the crops are ready in southern Ontario, the Sasquatch moves with the crops. So, uh, yeah, we, we take reports from other areas, but obviously the distance is too far for us to actually go and investigate. Yeah, definitely understandable. Yeah, I, I get emails as myself, you know, once or twice a week from people that are just random from anywhere. I had a guy from Texas email me, and he didn't want to come on my show. He just <laughs> He just wanted to tell me about his encounter, and he had no interest in sharing it on a podcast forum, but yeah, it's, it's just those random, those random encounters that happen that they just want to share it with somebody. So I guess that's, uh, I guess that's how they do it. But, but gentlemen, you guys have a very interesting project happening here and I'm, I'm excited for you now. Um, 
if you go to gofundme.com and you type in project overwatch is that correct yep absolutely um we can include the link with you as well we can email you the link and once again for the listeners i will include the link in the in the podcast description if you want to go check it out and maybe support these guys and it sounds like they really got some some cool things is there uh there are perks obviously perks yeah yeah definitely anybody that donates will probably get access to some of the footage we'll obtain through um, drone footage i might add that uh, you can go on uh, go on youtube and look up uh, hastings county sasquatch we usually put updates from time to time usually it's a monthly podcast and uh, we're going to be putting up another um, we're going to be putting up another um, follow-up report from our mode investigation we're going to be going up there again in another two weeks to carry on the investigation and set up some uh, night surveillance again and uh, certainly uh, like and subscribe and check us out and you'll get the uh, next story as soon as it pops up excellent so youtube.com and you just type search hastings county sasquatch and that's where you'll find daryl's stuff and uh chris how about you Where, where can people find you well, I'm sort of with with both groups. I'm with Ontario Sasquatch and also Upper Earth, Upper Canada Sasquatch and also East Coast County Sasquatch. So I'm with all three groups. I'm, I lend my time with all three groups there. So okay, and Peter, obviously you're Ontario Sasquatch, but in the Facebook group, so Facebook.com/slash Ontario Sasquatch. Yep, that's that finds us on on Facebook. You can also find our website at uh, ontariosasquatch.ca, and on there you'll also find a link to this project. Awesome. Well, gentlemen, thank you guys so much for taking the time to come on the show today. I do appreciate it. And uh, you guys have to let me know how this works out and, and any updates that you might have. Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you guys, and I do appreciate it. And for the listeners, if you guys just want to hang around, we're going to close out the show. Stay there. Hey, and we're back, everyone. We are back to pull a pin on this one, but of course, we can't do that until we give our guests a huge thank you. Uh, Chris and uh, Peter from Ontario Sasquatch, thank you so much. And of course, Daryl from Hastings County Sasquatch. Um, I really hope you guys are successful in this crowdfunding effort that you're doing. You know, it sounds very exciting and very promising. So I do wish you the best. And of course, for the listeners, I will include the link to their GoFundMe page in the podcast description. So if you want to go check it out, donate and get these guys uh what they need to kind of get the evidence that we need as a whole uh then, then go check it out uh gofundme.com and then type search uh project overwatch and it shows up there but like i said i included the link in the description below so check it out well i think that's about gonna do it for this week and um oh you know what i lied i uh i'm looking at my desk and i have some papers that uh, need to be read <laughs> so uh oh i guess well let's start with the bad news uh we're going to take a couple of weeks off from the podcast i'm just i'm very busy i um i have two daughters graduating uh one graduating high school which uh wow i can't believe where, did, where does time go uh, i'm just baffled by how quickly time seems to speed up as uh you know you try to enjoy the little things but uh, yeah anyway so my youngest daughter is graduating high school so uh, congratulations sweetie uh, i'm very very proud of you and my oldest daughter, Victoria, she's uh, she's graduating from an office administration course. And I am 
so proud of her. You know, it takes a lot of guts and courage to uh, go back to school, you know, especially, you know, in your mid-20s, you know. And she's a, an amazing mother. She has, she's given me two beautiful grandchildren. And, uh, wow, baby, I'm super, super proud of you. Um, for the listeners, I have nicknames for all my kids. <laughs> so don't think I'm being weird. <laughs> but, yeah, so anyway, I'm going to be quite busy for the next little while with, uh, you know, family stuff and, and such. So please forgive me. Uh, I will be back, though. I promise you that. And one more thing before we go. Uh, my buddy Tyler from the New Brunswick Bigfoot Organization is hosting a conference. That is very exciting because I believe it's the first of its kind over there. And so I know the feeling, buddy. <laughs> uh, but he is hosting a conference on July 8th in a town called Sackville, New Brunswick. Now, that's way over there in the Maritimes. And like I told you guys earlier, I'm pretty busy this month and for the next little while. So I'm not going to be able to attend. But if you are on the east coast of the country, I would encourage you to go. Uh, go check this out. I mean, it's always fun to get together with other Bigfoot lovers and just talk about the subject. But Tyler's got some things going on. He's going to be uh, speaking himself and he's going to be sharing some encounters and podcasts that you know kind of relate to the whole Maritime area. That's kind of exciting. And then he's going to have some vendor tables. You know, free pictures with the with Sasquatch. <laughs> I hope they're not blurry. <laughs> but uh, he's got like some activities for kids going on. He's got a barbecue that's going to be, you know, fairly priced. And uh, he's actually going to go on a nighttime walk with people. So um, if you're interested in, in, or if you want more information, go to facebook.com. Uh, type search New Brunswick Bigfoot Organization, and uh, of course his page pops up, and just reach out to Tyler directly through there if you want more information about this event. But uh, I encourage you to, to support this guy. He's very active in the Bigfoot world, and uh, he's a supporter of the podcast, and got to give our, our listeners a little bit, little bit of love back. So Tyler, I wish you the best, and I hope this all works out for you, buddy. And um, I hope you have a great turnout. Okay, so uh, I think that's going to wrap this one up, guys. Uh, we're going to get out of here shortly. But, of course, before we go, if you've had an encounter and you'd like to be on the show, email me at nicolavalleybigfoot at gmail.com. That's N-I-C-O-L-A, nicolavalleybigfoot at gmail.com. Oh, I forgot one more thing. I do have more shirts for sale. Uh, if you go to Facebook, <laughs> man, I'm promoting Facebook like crazy today. Uh, anyway, if you go to facebook.com and you type search looking for Bigfoot, which is my, my page, uh, you'll see I have some uh, podcast shirts for sale. I have one with the old design and one with the possible new design. Um, I'm kind of not sure if I'm going to switch the logo or not, but uh, depending on sales, I suppose, I'll see what the reaction is. But uh, if you want to go check it out, if you want to order a shirt, let me know. Okay, I guess that's going to wrap this one up. And uh, I'll see you guys in a couple weeks. I promise you I'll be back. It's just a short little hiatus because... Uh, Family always comes first. Remember that, people. In this crazy day and age, family always comes first. And until next time, I'll talk to you all later. Bye. Bye.